Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, my name is John Kennedy and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are Frank Turner and producer Josh Block. Frank is a singer and songwriter originally hailing from Hampshire in the UK. His musical career began back at school where he formed and played in the alternative band Knee Jerk. The band was short-lived but in that time they managed to release three records and play several shows around the UK. It was a strong start and an early indication of Frank's work ethic. An ardent metal fan, in 2001, Frank then joined London post-hardcore band Million Dead. Four years and two albums later, the group disbanded, and it was at this point that Frank decided to pick up the reins as a solo artist and explore his love of folk and country, with acoustic guitar as the guiding force. He soon secured a deal with Extra Mile Recordings, through which he released his first EP, Campfire Punk Rock, to be followed by his acclaimed debut album, Sleep Is For The Week. Fast forward to the present, and Frank has amassed a global following, having toured the world extensively and notched up seven studio albums to date, the most recent of which is Be More Kind. Josh Block is a producer and musician from Texas, USA. He was a founding member of the band White Denim, playing drums for the group, and has played extensively as a session musician. After leaving the band, Josh set up the studio Nile City Sounds, along with friends Austin Jenkins and Chris Vivian where they have recorded and produced a plethora of bands and artists, including the Grammy-nominated album Coming Home for Leon Bridges. This episode marks an exciting first for Tape Notes. I'm back once more at Iguana Studios and sat with me as Frank, but Josh will be joining us from across the Atlantic at his studio in Fort Worth, Texas. Together, we're here to talk about how they recorded and produced Frank's latest album, Be More Kind. And what better way to start that conversation than by hearing something from the record. Frank Turner with Little Changes from the Be More Kind album. I'm John Kennedy and I'm very pleased to say that sitting just beside me here in Iguana Studios in Brixton is the one and only Frank Turner. Hello, Hello Frank. Hi, how are you and doing? I'm very well, thank you. And then on the other side of the world in Fort Worth, Texas, we have Joshua Block. Hello, Josh. Hi. All the way from Fort Worth. <laughs> I know it's or exciting. Howdy. <laughs> this yeah. Is, yeah, I was going to say it's good to have more Texas. Give us a Texas team. welcome. Yeah. Uh, howdy, howdy, uh, y'all. Yeah, so, so thanks this, for having me. 
<laughs> this is very international, this. It is. It's exciting for Take Notes because yeah. this is the first time that we've tried to do an international link-up. Um, and it's important that we've done this because, Josh, you were in the studio that you recorded the album Be More Kind with Frank in. Yes. Um, and we've managed to find a day off in Frank's ridiculous itinerary yes. to get him to come down and, and hang out in Iguana. So um, we're going to look at three tracks today or listen yes. to three tracks from embryonic stages through to uh, finished result. Yes. Um, and those three tracks are Be More Kind, Brave Face, and 21st Century Survival Blues. Yes. Um, and Be More Kind, the title track of the yeah. record. Um, so this is your seventh album, Frank, and I remember we talked about the album before and you said you wanted to challenge yourself, you wanted to change things up <clears throat> this time around yeah. and do something different, and you turned to Josh and his partner, Austin, to, to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I wanted to sort of take a fresh... Uh, sonic approach uh, we first had a conversation because I went through a brief moment of madness of thinking I wanted to make a soul record and <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but um, like you know I wanted to make like a Dexy's Midnight Runner style white soul record and, and Josh Austin um, obviously made the first Leon Bridges record um, and, and the second one indeed as well uh, so we started the conversation I then moved into other kind of conceptual space but um, we stuck with each other um, yeah, I feel like every suggestion I tried to throw at Josh and Austin to kind of see if I could unbalance them didn't unbalance them. Do you know what I mean? They were just like, yeah, cool, no worries. Whatever. And the convers <laughs> these conversations you had, were these all in person or were they via no, email? they or? were mostly by email and over text message um, and that kind of thing in the build-up. Um, the other thing was that, like, so um, the previous record that I did, Positive Songs, was I wanted to make a record that captured the kind of live sound that me and the Sleeping Souls make. So we rehearsed that record to death in sound checks. And when we recorded it, we just went into the studio and cut the whole record in nine days and pretty much just played it as is, redubbed the vocals, and that was all we did um, which is cool and that's what I want it to be and this time around I wanted to take a different approach so one of the main things I did was I kind of banned the Sleeping Souls my band uh, from being allowed to work on any arrangement ideas until we got into the studio um, uh, because I wanted to see what happened when we got there um, and you know to start with the bare bones of a song and then just kind of allow the songs to grow in whichever direction felt kind of natural um, I mean I had some I did a bunch of kind of demos of my own on my laptop um, but we I was sort of I was a bit more dictatorial this time around right uh, than I was yeah, <laughs> on previous ones I mean one of the other things we did for the tech, the sort of methodology of the record which was very different from last time and actually worked really well I think was the different members of the band the souls came out one by one to Texas so we started we had a couple of days it was just us right um, talking about stuff and hanging out and Texas um, and then Nigel came out and we did the drums to some guide guitars and then Nigel went home and then the bass Tarrant who plays bass came out and did the bass and you know and, and by, by doing it like that it sort of enabled me to kind of concentrate on what everyone was playing which if you're trying to arrange a song in a room with a band then that gets really hectic because everybody's playing at yes. the same time. So, but it, but it also, the, but the, then that was kind of my calculation. But the other side of it, which was a pleasant surprise, was it also meant that each individual musician felt really kind of valued and focused on when it was their moment. Do you know what I mean? It, w mm. it was like, it's all about you <laughs> for the next three days or whatever. Um, so, uh, and, and, that was, and I think it, it worked for everybody doing it that way around. So, what did you hear first, Josh, then? And at what point did you actually meet? Uh, we met. We you came up and did some tunes with just me and Austin. Yeah, we did like we did a couple a couple tunes then, and that was and in March. Had, 
Yeah, uh, twenty seventeen. Sent some music, and then we just kind of met, and the idea was just like let's spend time together and just kind of work something up. Yeah, and see how we get along, and we 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 got along. We got along really, really well. well. Yeah, we went out and we <laughs> cut we cut a version, an early version of the song Blackout, um, with uh, Josh and Austin playing drums and bass. Right. Um, and just to sort of, and that was a real breakthrough moment in the sense that like it ended up being way more left field in terms of arrangement than I had. Uh, expected, but but I mean, I wanted it to be that, but it was just like, oh wow, this is really different, um, and this is going to work. Yeah, we went went really eighties. Yeah, it's almost. well, it's kind of kind of like talking headsy, cool. kind of like funk sort of vibe to it. Um, yeah. Punk funk Which is vibe. Kind of rad. Yeah, right. was, wow. And, and, I'd like and, to hear that. Did you? And, well, yeah. well, the the version that made the album is is pretty much the same arrangement, but a little bit faster. Right. Interesting, um, and and uh, I seem to remember a step up key wise as well, which caused no yeah, end of issues with um, capos and trying to play guitar parts. Hooray! Um, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't a couple things come up in key? I think I think he moved a few things. Yeah, up a key. few. Uh, one yeah. one went down. Going nowhere went down in key. So yeah, it's it's uh, we moved a few things around like that, but it was fun. I mean, I, generally speaking, I had an overall kind of vibe for where the arrangement of each song was going to go, but um, they they tended to. Um, sort of grow and sort of go in interesting places, which was the idea is to kind of trying to use the studio as a, as a as an instrument and as a place for experimenting rather than just like, here is the song, we must record a version of it that sounds like it, this. Yeah. You know? So there were no time constraints. Um, you, you felt you could take um, as long as you wanted yeah. to. We certainly, this is the longest I've ever spent in working on one record by miles. Yeah, it was, it was really nice. It was great. And you know, and one of the other things that was great with this record, and we'll get into this with some of the because I've picked I've picked these songs for a reason. I have um, uh, is is that we actually went back and did a second session, which I've never done before. In the past, it's always been like you are recording the album in this amount of time, and whatever gets recorded, then that's the album. Um, and whereas this time around, um, we had a sort of two month break, three month break in between the two sessions. Um, yeah. And that meant that in that everyone needed some personal growth. yeah totally time to kind of shower and <laughs> um, decompress. But but we but it was it was cool because it meant that I could as you always do when you finish a record even before it's mixed you listen to the rough mixes to death um, and. And almost one of the things was it gave me an opportunity to kind of measure up my rhetoric about the record with what was actually there. Um, so there were a few songs that, uh, a few new songs I came in with for the second session and there's one song we completely overhauled and redid. And it was kind of cool because, you know, I was like, well, this record's about this and it says this, this, this. And then it was like, well, it doesn't currently, so I better write some more songs. Um, <laughs> and just to kind of fill those philosophical gaps. Yeah, that's interesting because obviously the album's called Be More Kind and that's mm. the first song we're going to listen yes. to. And it's almost as if once you had those three words, that could dictate what yeah. kind of record you were going to yeah. write. Yes, although I'm always kind of wary about pre-directed writing. I think that that's not necessarily a particularly, in my experience, a particularly healthy way of writing, which incidentally is why the idea of trying to write a soul record didn't really work out. Is It was like, if I write a soul record sort of by accident, then that's fine. But to sit down and try and write one feels artificial yeah. to me. Um, but yeah, you know, there was certainly there was a sort of philosophical core. And um, Be More Kind was the first song that I wrote for the record. And uh, yeah, it's it sort of pointed the way, both kind of lyrically and indeed musically and structurally and arrangement-wise, all of which we can pick apart. Yeah, excellent. Um, so should we have a listen to the first thing that we should have a listen to? So. Yeah, so basically I've, got, I've, I've put together quite a few different snippets here. Um, uh, the first one actually is uh, me an example of me breaking the rule that I was just chatting about, um, which is <laughs> because uh, and this recording is from a sound check in Guildford uh, in December 2016, 
and I had the beginnings of the song Be More Kind and we were on stage and I sort of wanted to try uh, something that was a bit more kind of synth based and with the drums playing something kind of a bit more kind of minimalist sort of techno-y four on the floor kind of vibe um, so uh, I played through what I had in soundcheck. Uh, right, so and, you're on stage with the band and you're pointing yeah, at people. and I'm pointing at people and just sort something. of feeling out an arrangement as we go. And it's pretty raw, but you can hear that I've got like the first couple of verses of lyrics down. Yeah, excellent. Well, let's have a listen to that. Hold the first chord. And is there is there a key... Keyboard part played. There uh, yeah, there's, there's Matt's holdings. I right, think so I just talked him through the basic chord sequence. Right. History's been leaning on me that's my lovely out of tune soundcheck voice. Thank you very much. I can feel the future breathing down my neck. And all the things I thought were true when I was young. Oh, and you lovely. were too. They turned yeah. out to be broken. And I think as it's around here I start waving for drums to come in. In a world that has decided that it's going to lose its mind. Be more kind, my friends. Try to be more kind. But yeah, so I had this kind of basic bare bones idea. And, and I think the extent of where the idea went from then is that was bringing in the backbeat on the two and the four later on to give it a bit more of a dance feel. Uh, I mean, that rehearsal tape's really long, so we shouldn't play the whole thing. <laughs> um, but uh, so at that point I had that, and then I, um, and I do this a lot, I... I, I believe that the, I believe quite strongly that the proof of a good song is in its middle eight, or bridge, or whatever you want to call it. It's the moment when you kind of say, yeah. we have established a verse and a chorus and we've got a thing, but now... We shall go into gear four, kind of thing. Um, uh, I think Kurt Cobain's the master of the middle eight, incidentally. Um, so, and I, we didn't have a middle eight for the song. So, um, I, then I came up with a melody and I sung it into my phone. And I've got a recording of me singing into my phone here with no lyrics. <laughs> there it is. This is probably about two o'clock in the morning somewhere on tour. It's a good bridge. Best lyrics ever, right? <laughs> Less is more. <laughs> it works for Anthony Kiedis. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I had that. So that, that was the next piece of the puzzle. So th then I did what I always do, which is I recorded just a vocals and guitar demo of the whole song. Um, and then I sort of feel like um, the thinking about how I put this song together was quite a almost in real time shows what I was, how I was thinking the record was going to go because it starts with an acoustic guitar playing essentially a kind of trad folk John K. Sampson-y kind of vibe um, and then the kick drum comes in and then backbeats and then synths and all this kind of thing and um, I was mucking around with, with demoing on Logic on my laptop and I, I almost kind of stumbled into it in the sense that I've, I've, I have long demoed on my laptop and I usually drag in kind of live drum loops just to say tonight, hey, this is some stuff a drummer could do. But almost, I think, by accident, once upon a time, drubbed in, dragged in like an electronic kind of more, you know, techno-y kind of beat and then went, oh, wait a second, this could be kind of fun and interesting. So I did a demo, uh, which sounds like this. I think still in the same key. Hmm. History's been leaning on me lately. I can feel the future breathing down my So this starts, this sounds like a, a folk song, essentially. Mm, yeah. 
with a bit of Springsteen-y warm pad underneath. <laughs> Never underestimate the power of the warm pad. You were too, turned out to be broken I don't know what comes next In a world that has decided So interestingly, uh, yeah, I've, the drums come in a bit later on this than they do on the actual finished version. My friends, try to be more kind Think they start here. Yeah, so it's kind of builds from here, and, and here's the thinking of like, in, as versus other records I've made, it was kind of like, cool, now I'm going to do the last possible thing anyone would expect me to do at this moment. Yeah. And uh, start bringing in kind of like, um, on, on the kind of, cause, because all the demos I do are very much sketches, and I'm very much not an expert at. Um, <laughs> studio stuff hi Josh uh, no they're <laughs> um, great but, but I mean you know they had the kind of presets of kind of like twinkly pad um, and things like that um, I think they were very informative so um, what did you take to Josh then did you play all three of those no to I think I, Josh? I think that I just sent you guys this this one yeah. right yeah yeah so by this time you'd got your middle eight and you got your your bridge. Yeah, sorted so the structure out, so. of the song was together yeah. but then and then um, and then in the final analysis for the for the finished piece um the the kind of the the building blocks the this song in particular it's got a very kind of david byrne approach to the arrangement in the sense that it's like just different parts start and stop you know in the way that those early talking heads records did they would just apparently mix them by pressing on and off on different tracks on like an eight track and it's a similar thing it's like there's all the loops kind of there and then the drums start here and then the shake starts here and then the backbeat starts here and whatever else it might be yeah this is kind of deconstructionist yeah um, but so so we messed that around quite a lot in Fort Worth. Yeah. So what, what did right you place. think then, Josh, when you got sent this track? Um, did you did you have ideas immediately and think, yeah. right, I, yeah. I want to do it this way, what? Frank? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I um no, you know what? The first thing I thought, have you heard uh, all the Cars demos? You may have because they're really easy to get confused with the album. They oh, were really? just like dead on. I oh. mean, even like some of those electronic drum sounds that yeah. kind of happen, the fills that happen, they're in their demos. It's oh, really? Crazy. Wow. So that that's the first thing I thought. I was like, oh, it's kind of like a Cars demo. It's all kind of laid out right here, mm. you know? So um, it was pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah. And we had, we had worked with Frank a little bit already. It's been a little, you know, talked to him and known each other. And Frank and I have some mutual friends for a long time. Yeah. So, and you think, you know, you, you do your research on an artist before you work with them. And he's made some albums. So it's kind of <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. kind of like not question it. Although we did think, what, didn't he want to make an R&B record? <laughs> when, we started, when we started getting demos and talking, and um, which was actually kind of cool because we had been spinning how to do it, you know, and it would have been alive in a couple of weeks if it were an R&B record. So. so when we got this tune, like I said, it was pretty laid out. I think more in my, my head was how do we, how do we add some... Uh, some softness to it you know yeah. outside of the acoustic guitar and the voice so yeah i think we we got there i think we did i mean you know the so this this song is of the three that we're playing today and indeed of all the tracks on the record was the structure was better formed in my mind when when we got to fort worth nevertheless like um one of the big um additions to the track that happened in the studio is um i asked uh because originally matt i i just had or well on the demo i had the synths playing um a warm pad as we were just saying and uh, i asked matt if he'd be up for uh, writing a string arrangement which he did, and then initially, the string arrangement he wrote was 
insanely complicated. It's very mad. Um, <laughs> it's very, very mad. And, and, and like I just had in, in my head, it was just going to be strings essentially sort of holding down the chords, as it were, in the background. And Matt wrote this banana string arrangement, which initially I remember we were in the studio and I was like, this is too much. This is insane. Um, but then we tweaked it a little bit. We pulled a little bit of stuff out of it. In fact, one of the things we put some of it onto Ben's electric guitar part um, rather than having 19 strings at one given moment or whatever. Um, but it actually, it, in, in essence, the string arrangement that he wrote stayed there and is an integral part of the, the soaring strings in the, in the bridge are one of my favorite parts of the, of the song. And did you record here. those in Texas? Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. we did. We did. Um, where are they? So how many parts are there? It's a quartet, double. Right. It's yeah. a quartet. So, so we ended I'm, up paring down a good bit of Matt's arrangement in here because I remember when he printed out his arrangement, like the you know he printed it out from Logic, and the sheet music was just like when you looked at it, you were like, whoa! <laughs> like the yeah. conductor score was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, eight hundred pages. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's great though. Yeah, and then I seem to remember that we, correct me if I'm wrong here, we also, we did some stuff like we doubled up the strings with Mellotron strings as well. It's actually just digital strings, so we just fattened them up. Matt, Matt, Matt yeah. popped in something to fatten them up. Um, yeah. Just, cool. which, and it's not something that's prominent in the mix, but it just makes it sound thicker and yeah. bigger. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things, actually, while, while you're, you're sitting there, Josh, with your thing, I, like one of the things we did on this record, which I really enjoyed, was um, I got a lot more into kind of vocal production if you like, than I ever have done before. I've always been a bit kind of like, I've never that keen on double tracking and stuff like that. And this time around, we got into a lot of kind of low doubling and doubling and harmony doubling and all that kind of thing. I'm, I'm right in saying? Yeah. You, 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 you did most of the, tracks. yeah, you did most of the record like that. Uh, yeah. Like low and I also, and harmonies. yeah. And the, the other thing that I did this time around was I sung everything on the record apart from the gospel choir, but, um, because I, not because I have any issue with, with, um, with anybody in the sleeping souls of voices is great. And they've sung on all the other records that we've made together, but I just thought it would be an interesting, different sound mm. to kind of, um, do all of that. Are you able to solo some, um, vocal yeah. madness? So you're doing your own backing vocals as well. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And it's it's funny because like in the past, I always feel there's two approaches to backing vocals. There's the kind of there's the approach where you do the kind of Neil Young ensemble thing where it wants to sound like a bunch of people in a room singing, which is what I've always done before. And and if you do your own backing vocals and with lots of doubles and stuff like that, it's more like you're building kind of a chord out of one voice, which is a different sound. Mm. Ready to hear you? I'm ready. You should know. You're not alone. How many vo how many tracks is that? You did uh, one, two, three, four, five, six tracks. Yeah, six tracks of vocals. Six there. tracks of me. Six wow. francs. Yeah, um, but it's Imagine cool. That. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I like the sound of that on its own. I mean, I I'd, I'd be listening to a, a Dude, whole if, album of that. Possibly. It's kind of <laughs> yeah. It's a cool thing about being able to track people is you get to be like, oh, what if it's just him and like this? You should know. This is the remix, so yeah, yeah, this sounds great. <laughs> but that, so that guitar part there that Ben's playing was actually nice. Yeah. That, that guitar part was actually part of the string arrangement originally, and it was like we took that off and put it on the guitar. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. things just don't speak when they're, you know, all. There was enough strings happening already. I think. I mean, it's interesting because when you listen to the final version of Be More Kind, I mean, mm. in many ways, while it's had all these developments within it, it still seems quite simple. 
No. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, I think that's kind of that's in a way that's sort of the knack, really. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Is and yeah. and um, is to kind of put as put it, all the ingredients you can think of in, but then just try and bring out the strong elements. And I think that the arrangement is pretty balanced in the final analysis. You know, like as the vocals come out, that rising guitar line comes in and the, and then doesn't conflict with the strings and. It, yeah, and it was cool. I mean, I'm not blowing smoke here, but uh, it was cool to work with somebody who can do that fast. You know, the ideas go fast, but, you know, everybody in the room could hear it. Like, oh, this needs, you know, some uh, uh, you know, uh, some middle of the chord information here. Yeah. And it just would, 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 would get on the track, and it was, oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah, no, it's interesting. I, mean, yeah, I think we should hear the finished version then of Be More Kind just to complete yes. this section. So, yeah, it's got that double-tracked acoustic thing with it panned out hard left, which I love. History's been leaning on me lately I can feel the future breathing down my neck And all the things I thought were true when I was young and you I like that you brought that up in the mix. Turned out to well, the final mix. The boom. Yeah. And I don't know what comes next In a world that has decided that it's going to lose its mind Be more kind, my friends Try to be more kind It's interesting because the the thing with your songs, Frank, is that people listen a lot to the words and yeah. they, they pay a lot of attention to that. And when, as a listener, they get drawn in by mm. whatever story you're telling. And in some ways, as a listener, they end up just absorbing all those clever things that you've put together for the song yeah. without thinking about yeah. how you've arrived. At, sure, at but those. I mean, that, that's that's kind of... That's how it should be, really. Oh yeah, is, completely, is the, complete. Know. No, but it's yeah. it's interesting to hear how you know what you had to do to get yeah, to this. Yeah, 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 sure. I I absolutely love the way this song panned out. I think it sounds it's one of my yeah. favorite things I've made in my mm. life. Fantastic. This is one of my favorites on the album. Yeah, I like that it's the title track. Yeah, for sure. So the string, yeah, the string arrangement starts picking up a bit here. And here we have the the middle eight that I was singing to my phone. You should know you're not alone. I dare I say it, I like to think it's a reasonably original sound, something that builds up to this from an acoustic folk part. It's This is not where I think you would expect the song to go on of your first listen. Yeah, yeah. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. 
One of our favorite features within Tapeit Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tapeit sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favor. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. Brayface is okay. the next song we're going to have. Yes, a well, there is method to my madness in choosing songs here because there, um, Brayface is a song that went through many a different version on its route towards uh, how it ended up. And um, in in the midst of this, you can hear... Uh, some of the approach both to songwriting and arrangement and everything else. So um, the original thing of Brave Face, uh, I did, I've got a recording of it that I did as a kind of work tape thing, which is when I literally just finished writing it and I was just kind of kicking um, the, the lyrics around. Actually, when listening back to this, I'd kind of forgotten quite how sort of Van Morrison, Counting Crows, the original version is. So um, we, can we hear a little bit of the, of the work tape? Okay. Put on your brave face, honey, your brave face, honey Shut out the fear from your mind I got my brave face, honey, my brave face, honey And it's it's also, the other thing, the, the other major thing this is it's a radically different set of lyrics um, It's a similar similar metaphor Right But it, but the original set of lyrics were radically different But um, what I like about this work tape version is it kind of reminds me of like the kind of Dylan and Robbie Robertson basement tape stuff, you know, when they're just kind of kicking songs around. Yeah. Um, but if we leave it playing for another tiny bit, because it's the second verse of this, you can just, it sounds very kind of counting crows, um, which is fine because I'm a big fan. Yeah, it's got that kind of. You see what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Hot, hothouse flowers kind of yeah. approach. Yeah. So the song <laughs> began there, um, and then uh, so that was the that was the initial thing. I mean, this is definitely kind of like a pop song. You know what I mean? Um, so we began with that, and then I went away and I did a demo like I did with the other ones, which was uh, me sort of playing everything um, uh, into Logic on my laptop, which is the second snippet that we have over there. So if we hear a bit of that. Put on your brave face, honey, your brave face, honey. Shut out the fear from your mind. I got my brave face, honey. This bit kind of retains face, that sort of Van Morrison y bit, but it, it kicks in a bit more. And again, it's still the wrong lyrics, <laughs> should we say? Get through this, honey, through this, honey Make it to the other side So this is you playing everything on your Yeah, laptop. this is me sort of demoing and it's kind of got a a bit more of a kind of straight down the line singer-songwriter vibe, mm. you know what I mean? Um, uh, almost I want to kind of say uh, almost sort of Snow patrol kind of vibe to it, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so anyway, so that was that was the next question, which 
And then by the time we got into uh, Fort Worth, um, mm. I sort of, I felt like that arrangement was kind of boring um, and, and was a bit kind of like in tune. It was sounded, it felt to me like a song like Where I Tend to Be or something like that. It's like a thing I'd kind of done before and didn't really feel the need to do again. Um, so when working out an arrangement in the studio, initially on the first session for this one, we went left field um, and... I seem to remember, Josh, that one of the reference points for this was that um, uh, Macy Gray song. Yeah. <laughs> I try to walk away yeah, and right. I choke. And just kind of the feel for that, for the drums. And also, like, so we did some stuff, like we put the intro, uh, we took it off the guitar and put it onto um, Matt playing a crazy Rhodes part. Um, and we got some horns in and we tracked some horn parts and all this kind of thing. Um, and it sounded like this. Put on your brave face, honey, your brave face, honey, and shut out the fear from your mind. I got my brave face. It's got a sort of funky bass. And I promise you it's gonna be fine. I know that and who's playing bass on that? Tarrant's playing bass on that. And Matt's playing the keys. So, so at this point, all the sleeping souls were there then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in different rounds, but yeah. Right, right. Oh, I see. Yeah, of course. They're not all in the same room. So this is a very different sonic yeah. approach. Yeah. You wanted that I like swing it. to be a lot more prominent yeah. here. And I mean, this is, I mean, there was a moment in time when I came to really hate this arrangement, but listening back to it now, <laughs> what, I, what I like about it is how radically left field it is for me. Mm. You know, I've never released a song that sounds like this. Just yeah. down the yeah. center for and everyone it, else though. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, but it's kind of fun. You know, I mean, there's almost there's there's no acoustic guitar on this. Uh, I don't think, and you know, it's it's based around Rhodes bass and horns, which yeah. for me is a yeah, and it's great. I mean, you can really see the Van Morrison connection now when those horns come in. Yeah, yeah. and it's and this uh, and this has one foot in the kind of soul record vibe that we were originally talking about. Yeah, at the beginning, very mm. beginning of the conversation we had about the session, but. So we recorded that version in our first session, and over the period of time in between the first session and the second session, I think all of us developed a particularly acute hatred for it. You threw up um, in your mouth one too many times. I did. Yeah. I remember you saying, yeah, I remember, you, Josh, you were like, this is the softest thing in the history of softness. Um, and, yeah, and it just sort of, And on the one hand, it's good to push outside of a comfort zone. On the other hand, it sort of really felt like I, perhaps it was... Um, Falling between several stools, should we say? That's a good way to put it. I mean, like it. I say, to be honest with you, listening back to it now, I, don't, I, I actually enjoy it a lot more than I was expecting to. But one of the main things I think that occurred to me after a while, it, the lyric for it, there's actually there's a story behind the, the lyrics of this song, which is convoluted. Um, they originally had this idea of writing a song. I, I've been writing these songs about women in history for another record, which I am still working on. And one of them is a woman called Aria Mayor, who was the wife of a Roman senator. Um, and he was ordered. Uh, by Claudius to kill himself. He'd been implicated in an assassination plot um, and was too scared to do it. Uh, so his wife famously stabbed herself and then said, look, it doesn't hurt um, and gave him the knife. And that was kind of, the, there was an initial image in there about like, you know, if we have to do it, let's do it smiling, putting your brave face, all this kind of business. But I was sort of trying to, I, I've been very interested in Bill Withers while I'm writing this record and, and that kind of like militant simplicity of his sort of lyricism and this kind of thing. And, and somehow in the middle of it all, I think I realized towards the end that one of the problems I had with the song is that the lyrics were been simplified to the point of being borderline meaningless. Um, and uh, so 
In the interim period between the first session and the second session, the other thing that happened is we toured with Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit for a while, and the 400 Unit are an incredible band. And I was still bothered about this song and wanted to find a new way into it. Um, and just one day in soundcheck on that tour, like Tarrant, I think, was like, why don't we try playing this like Jason and his band would play it? And we did. And that's the new arrangement. Um, but then the other thing that happened was, so we, we worked up that recording, which is a completely scratched new recording, which Josh has in front of him there. Yeah. Which I think, ha- you have the old lyrics on there, I think I'm right in saying. Oh, uh, I've got the new version of it. Yeah, it still has some of the old lyrics on it. But it still has the old lyrics yeah. on it. Yeah. So that, so we changed the arrangement completely, which made me much happier with the musical approach to it. It's a more, essentially kind of country rock I do like it. You started uh, here. Approach. I like that you started with this kind of thing. Yeah, which is... It's kind of a nicer bed. Yeah, right. And, and it just sort of, it's a bit more kind of like 70s rock almost, I want to say. Um, and uh, But then... It, we like yeah. to call it Heartland Rock. Heartland <laughs> Rock, yes. Yeah, thank you. Um, but it, and, then, and then the final piece of the puzzle was that actually when we were mixing the record at the 11th hour, I just went, ah, oh, I hate these lyrics. They make me want to kill myself. So um, I completely, in the space of about half an hour, rewrote the entire lyric from the ground up. Although it was an interesting thing because we'd already recorded the gospel choir vocals at the end, we which did. meant that the lyrics had to end in a certain place <laughs> because <laughs> we didn't have the time and the wherewithal to re-record the gospel choir. That was already done and sounded great. And you guys found the gospel guys for us, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if... Uh, yeah. Do you have gospel choir? You've got gospel, we got gospel choirs. Gospel choirs, yes, indeed. No, yeah. I, mean, I was listening to the gospel choirs just before this and uh, trying to work out because I remember that you posted something probably on Instagram or on Twitter, mm. um, Frank, of um, the, the choir being recorded. Yeah. And, and at that point, I wasn't sure whether you know where that could be. So listening to the gospel choir on the track, I was trying to work out, now is that a British gospel choir or is that an American no, it's, gospel choir? It's, I mean, yeah. for, <laughs> because Fort I Worth. don't think you can tell necessarily. <laughs> no, no, no. But Fort, yeah. Fort Worth is a great town because there's so many musicians living in and around Fort Worth, right? Tons of singers. Uh, yeah. Most of your f- famous rock and roll sax players are from here as well. Yeah. So. So in terms of putting together, there were lots of moments in the session where I would sort of have an idea, whether it's for the horns that we were just hearing Mm -hmm. or indeed the gospel stuff, and I would say to Josh and Austin, you know, we need this, and they'd make a couple of phone calls, and then people would arrive. Yeah, I remember you being... You were nervous about the gospel choir, and that was the one thing where, like, don't worry. Yeah, you know, I do remember. Around. Yeah, they they were they were so good. They were so great. But yeah, so when I was rewriting the lyrics, it was like yeah. I knew that the lyrics had to finish in a certain place because that was already in the bag, and there was no time for us to retract that. And it was dense, you know. Put on your brave face, honey. Your brave face, honey. Make it to the other side. Put on your brave face, honey. Your the girl who was singing right at the top was incredible. Bonnie Bishop. Bonnie Bishop, yeah. She's Bonnie Bishop. And she's well known. I mean, they were all great singers, but she was just off the scale. Um, it was it was amazing. But yeah, so so the final thing, it was almost a little bit like a kind of a like a, a, a crossword puzzle or something. Mm. It was like I have to say the following things and finish here from a different starting place. Um, and I think the main thing that I did is like I say, I'd, I tried to kind of like simplify, simplify on the first set of lyrics and I'd taken it too far. So this time around I just kind of let my own idiom run free if you like and that's where the song finished up um shall we listen to some of it to yeah wrap this up? let's do it put on your brave face honey your brave face honey and get ready for the end of the world put on your best clothes take a deep breath don't bury your head and draw yourself up tall it might hurt a bit but don't you forget that this 
this too shall pass if we survive. So put on your brave face, honey, your brave face, honey, and we'll make it. And there's that Rhodes part, mm. which survives from the original. And actually, the um, the solo, the Rhodes solo in the middle of this is the old intro from the kind of from the Macy Gray version. <laughs> so there's bits that have kind of survived. And that's Matt playing that. And that's Matt yeah, playing yeah. that. Yeah. No way I could play that. <laughs> <laughs> How fear can bring your focus in tight Don't be ashamed, we all shoulder some blame For the way that nothing ever really turned out right The world is a mess now, baby, it's best now If we start again with new visions in mind So put on your brave face, honey, your brave face, honey And we'll make it to the other side and there's some great whistling Hammond in this tune as well Which is one of my favourite sounds in the world Just a wham on the Hammond Makes me really happy If I'm ever sad, I just need a Hammond organ yeah, and especially when you, we have the largest Leslie ever. It's called the 31H. Yeah. It's six feet tall. <laughs> That's enough, Leslie. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of that vocal layering we were talking about in here. There's the hand claps on the two and four, which give it a thing. The drum part's actually really slow, and the, the, the percussion really drives this arrangement. I think if yeah. you take the tambourine out of this, it sounds quite sluggish. But so here's the old intro again. Come the solo, and then Ben's guitar solo, which is great. I remember him playing it about 900 times. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and that's the finished version of Brightface. Yeah. yeah. Oh, actually, we play a little bit longer. We'll get to the gospel part. Yeah, we need to hear that. Yes. And it's kind of nice. On the, I get to feel like I'm singing along with the gospel choir. When we play it live, I get, I te- we have a break and I teach the audience and it's a cool I love watching that. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. And there's a liner in there which is like, hey man, we can't afford to tour with the gospel choir so we need you guys to step up. <laughs> a lot of you on this section. Little Franks. As in vocally? Yeah. Many Franks. Yep. So it's cool in response. Put on your brave face, sunny, and we'll make it to the other side. Put on your brave face, make it to the other side. And we'll make it to the other side. Put on your brave face, sunny, your brave face, sunny, and we'll make it to the other side. Put on your brave face, sunny, your brave face, sunny, and we'll make it to the other side. And so there it is, the finished version. Yeah, excellent. And how often do you completely revise lyrics like that? Uh, not often. Yeah. That's actually pretty unusual for me because I'm I'm really meticulous. Um, and it's it's unusual for me to really go back to the drawing board like that. May I add at that point that you're really good about having lyrics printed in a good usable manner for everybody. Yeah, nice it was long and bitter We get experience. to make notes together. Yeah, it, well, it's at the point of having a lyric sheet in the studio is to be able to make notes on the takes that you're doing. We had a lot of fun with our vocal take thing because so the way the way that we generally do it is a song you do like between five and ten takes of the main vocal and then we do the comping part which is where you go through the takes you've just done and pick the 
lines that you like. And um, Josh would always have his own little scorecard of what he thought yeah. were the ones that he <laughs> I was liked. Wrong so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I mean, it, it, and, and you know, and then I come up and I listen through to it and then uh, pick what I thought was my favorite one. It's it's a pretty. It's a funny thing because vocal comping can be the most boring, time-consuming, grueling part of making a record. But I think that we got into a really good rhythm with it. I thought the flow was great. Yeah, it's yeah. usually really boring, but but we had a good flow. You work fast, and uh, it was it, it was at least fun. Yeah. Sometimes, man, it's just not fun. Yeah. Trust me. It's unusual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, 21st century survival blues. You've got the answer, Frank. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Who's asking? <laughs> um, this is a song um, uh, which went, again, through some interesting uh, convoluted different versions before we got to where we got. Um, uh, the initial inspiration for the lyrics was a conversation I had on a plane with a businessman. Um, it was domestic flight. It was a small plane. It was packed. It was early in the morning. And this guy started talking to me, which I hate. Um, and started telling me that he'd spent all the money made on a um, warehouse full of weapons in New Hampshire. Um, and th- his reason being that when the shit goes down, you can't eat gold. <laughs> and I thought, you can't eat gold when the shit That's... is up either. Um, uh, but and, and it just struck me as a kind of, as a, as a pretty sort of, um, sad approach to the idea of the end of the world would be to just start shooting people with food. Um, and I, you know, I like to think I take a different approach. That means I will get killed first in the zombie apocalypse, but that's fine. I'm, I'm ready, <laughs> ready for that. But, um, but yeah, and then I had, um, I had one of those moments in writing this song. Um, all the songs we've played so far took a long time to get right. This one came out pretty fully formed. I remember waking up one morning in my flat in Holloway and um, I've got my mum's piano downstairs and just whilst kind of pressing snooze on my alarm, had this musical idea, started kicking around and then and then sort of turned to my partner and said, stop talking to me, I've got an idea. And then running downstairs in my pyjamas and... Um, uh, and hammering it out. And it was pretty fully formed pretty quickly. Um, uh, and so and initially it was a reasonably kind of uh, in the zone song for me, like sort of uh, certainly the, the sort of structure and arrangement and, and approach was quite traditional. And I did a vocal and guitar demo, uh, which we can hear a bit of now. I think I'm right in saying it'll be, yeah, that one. Got the 21st century survival blues It's a condition brought on by watching the news Things have been quiet for far too long And if you know human beings, things are gonna go wrong We were raised in a But you'd originally hammered it out on the piano Yeah, so... I, I, but you yes. didn't think of recording that straight Well, no, I did, I did, that was definitely... I wanted that to be part of the structure But it's, it's, it's quite a... Quite a me lyric, should we say um, And... and the, the general kind of approach and structure is quite like a song I would have put on another a different record of mine. And um, so the next thing I wanted to do once we had, once I had that kind of written and arranged, um, was to take a left field approach to it. So when I got to the demo, I brought the piano back in. Um, I put together this really odd kind of drum loop. Um, I used a Mellotron choir and an electric guitar and a, and a bass, and I'm pretty sure that's everything that's on the demo. And um, the vo- the vibe is quite sort of or at least I wanted it to be quite trip hoppy, sort of Portishead, like an aggressive Portishead 
tune or something. Um, and the demo then came together sounding like this. I got the 21st century survival blues A condition brought on by watching the news Things have been quiet but far too long But if you know human beings, things are gonna go wrong We were raised in a I remember recording this in a dressing room on tour I was in France somewhere with Sam Getcape And is that a real piano that you're playing? Uh, or is it's, that... it's soft logic, I right, mean, yeah, it's a, it's yeah, a piano yeah. patch and there's that um, Mellotron choir sound mm. But again, I was sort of trying not to use acoustic guitar Trying to sort of keep it out of my regular wheelhouse To take a song that I'd written that was quite normal for what I do And to find an, a different way of coming at it And um, also on this demo, there's the, the, the bridge came in where I sing falsetto Which again isn't something I've done very much of in my time But you business and then there's that really sort of uncomfortable electric part and it sort of sounds awkward and lumpy yeah and weird which was kind of the idea and this is the demo that i sent to josh and austin yeah i seem to remember yeah um another cars moment for me where it was just like oh this is really well laid out Yeah, although, but then the interesting thing that happened with this song in particular is that Mm -hmm. this is the one song on the record where I really felt like um, I sort of backtracked a bit um, stylistically in the sense that um, I seem to remember we kind of, Nigel and I, messing around with him trying to do a version of that really stilted drum loop and it just didn't quite flow, it didn't jam, it didn't feel good. And um, we were a little stuck on it. I seem to remember it was one of the last drum tracks that we laid down. It was, um, and. And then I think that eventually what happened was Nige threw in a suggestion, which was to play it like John Bonham. Um, uh, and and at which point I sort of, you know, we got a bit more kind of traditional rock about the song. Um, and it fell together in that way. It, it maintains that kind of bar, 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 Porter's Heady type thing in the verses, but it, rather than using quite as many synths as I had originally been planning, it sort of went more onto kind of a distorted bass and a real piano. Um, and, uh, Nigel kind of rocked it on this one. He was, yeah, he was into it. Have you got some drum tracks you can play? Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear that. Yeah. It's got that sort of bottom thing of just, it's like loud and you, 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 it's almost like you can hear the, 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 the kick drum beater bending when it hits the skin. Yeah. There's like moments like, you know, yeah. And then, um, and then we even did the Bonham thing where we pulled the uh, the delay on triplets in. You know, we let him. Yeah, we let him have it. You know. Yeah, and it then we and, then, cool. and <laughs> yeah, and then it layered up from there. We put the bass in, which is kind of distorted, I think. Can yeah. We hear some drums and bass. Yeah, that bass. Again, tambourine makes it for me. Yeah. Can we hear the tambourine on its own? Yeah. Yeah, effects on that as well. A little tape slap, or more of like a kind of an ATR feeding back into itself, kind of, kind of a tape flange. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Groovy. Growing up, growing up listening to kind of SoCal punk bands, the 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 value and the strength of the tambourine was something it took me a long time to understand and realize. I'm now kind of addicted to tambourines <laughs> yeah. and everything. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> they ju- they just they they're, they're like um they're like kind of lubricant on a song rhythmically. Do you know what I mean? They just sort of tie everything together. I did dig, so you were saying like you were trying to get out of the acoustic thing, but what I think it made you do is like do some cool stuff with acoustic guitar, you know, you had the... 
It's that thing where it's recorded twice and spread out stereo. Yeah. And then um, the piano part's a big part of this uh, song as yeah. well. And that's a big so, nine-foot grand. I'll play from the verse. And then we did some kind of like Bowie style, you know. Like. Yeah, so that survives from the demo version of it. But then it, it's, the, it's the rhythmic approach that's more traditional, yeah, yeah. I guess, is the thing. Um, and then uh, also the Mellotron Choir survived onto this, I seem to remember. Oh, yeah, that had to stay. Yeah, which because it was a real kind of sonic like signature of, of the chorus sound. I love that in the piano. And this guy. That's Ben's guitar part thickening out on the bottom. Also, actually, something else we should listen to is on on the middle eight Ben's mad guitar attack thing. That thing I did on that the, is awesome. Yeah, on the on the demo I sort of put that in the second verse, um, and it, it's that. And I wanted it to sort of be a sort of weird, uncomfortable electric part that was quite sort of delayed and roomy, um, and. We moved it to the to the bridge of the song, but also um, I let Ben do that part because that's one of his absolute secret weapons is playing weird, uncomfortable guitar stuff. Just insanity right here. So that that's the rhythm part. This part. Yeah, <laughs> and it's got this cool like even tied like the old nine ten printed effect going. And that's with the nine ten added in. Yeah, so cool. And then uh, the last little, thing, little pitch and delay will do. Yeah, and then I seem to remember the last thing we did. Is, as I was saying earlier, like on the on the, the kind of synth and paddy sounds I picked for the demos I did was pretty much just choosing from the obvious list that comes up with the kind of beginner's guide to Logic, as it were. But there's one, there's a high sound on the last playout. Oh yeah, it's always. Frank pads. Yeah, but we actually ended up just tracking that off the original because it was we were trying to find other ones and none of them were the one that I wanted it to be, which is the one that was on demo. So it sounds like this. And that just kind of floats over the end yeah. and brings everything out. One of the other things we added in the studio, which I love, was the, the so on the falsetto part, was the backing vocal on the falsetto, I think, makes that. Oh, dude. Ah, sounds great. Yeah. So I mean, I love that, like, you know, you hear the usual thing, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking trash on labels by saying this, but they're always, uh, you as a producer, you always get like, I just want them to go somewhere vocally they haven't. And Frank had already said that. He's like, I really want to go somewhere vocally that I normally haven't gone. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, cool, he's going to make us look like heroes. You know? Like, <laughs> 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 you get back there like, that's exactly it. It's like, yeah, yeah. well, you know, that's what he wanted to do. Yeah. And, and like, if you, if, can you, if you play the second half of the full yeah. set, this. So meet me at home when the sirens go off. I don't want to be alone, so don't you get lost. And the thing is, in the mix, those low doubles, you don't really hear those, like, yeah. coming through. But they, it's like it's like putting a, a, a bass coat down. Do you know what I mean? It just mm. really, it, it, it's, it's like putting a distortion pedal on your voice almost kind of thing. It just makes it sound fat and heavy, but it just really boosts the fuck out of the song. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's like I have a I have a two year old and um we had a neighbor that everything he cooked she just loved and we it was like stuff we'd try to cook and we eventually asked him like what are you doing to this stuff he was like oh butter I put a ton of butter on it <laughs> it, was, it was like the same thing you know yeah like you you're like oh yeah it's it's kind of like the butter the of vocal the vocals, butter. yeah you know? and and the, and yeah, the tambourine yeah. is the butter of the of the drums yeah <laughs> melody butter and rhythm butter yeah you know, you totally so, there's your tips kids Just double your vocals down yeah. low and put tambourine and everything yeah and it'll sound and, and your two-year-old will eat it yeah exactly yeah i mean what, one of the interesting things with this record for us has been trying to figure out how to play it live because one of the sort of philosophical rules that i laid down is that we weren't going to think about that while we were in the studio you know uh and in stark contrast to the previous record it was just kind of like it doesn't matter that there's nine guitar parts on this song or whatever or or two drum parts which we had on quite a few songs or, or anything like that it was just like make the song be what it's going to be and we'll figure it out afterwards and it's been kind of fun um as a band to kind of sit down and almost like try and reverse engineer what the final mix sounds like so it's not it, it's not really thinking about like well we played this part here it's more like what can you hear when you press play on the finished record and therefore who needs yeah. to cover what um and and we've put together a convincing live arrangement in the song which i really love um, uh, and and sounds pretty faithful to the original, but it's it's interesting at this moment in time to hear how much extra shit there is going on underneath. Yeah, yeah, but it's impactful. When I saw you in Dallas, it was really impactful. Well, by thank the you. way, I, I went up to the top, and the amount of there was one guy who never sat down, and it's because he there wasn't anything he didn't know the lyrics to. <laughs> he was just like fist in the air. It was it was awesome. Yeah, yeah but this song fun. really translated. Should we should we play the finished version? Um, and hear how the, hear how it all came together. I'm impressed with people who've learned the lyrics to this song because there's quite a few of them. Yeah. I've got the 21st century survival blues again. This is that tambourine, butter, pure butter. Your <laughs> I, and I really love the way that the piano is, is holding down that and then the kick drum and the bass is playing a counter rhythm. Yeah. Charlie, we haven't mentioned him yet for the mixes, but Charlie yeah. nailed this one. Charlie Huggle. Yeah, so Charlie Hugel in, in London um, uh, mixed the record and did a great job. So he did he work on all of the songs to mix the yeah, whole thing? Yeah, he did. We as with the vocals, um, we retracked a couple of bits and bobs with him, mm. which he sort of was like, "I need this to reach the mix that I want it to be, or whatever." But it, I, th I think Josh, if I can say this, yeah, on record, um, I think I, I'm quite a big fan of getting somebody who didn't track the record to mix it as a methodology. I think it's quite useful because you and I both get lost in what we were doing for yes. two and a half months in a studio, and yeah. having a fresh pair of ears come in and go, this is the important part, this is the thing that sings and, and putting it together can be really useful. Yeah, and then mastered at Abbey Road. Yes. Yeah, One and one of the things I learned a really valuable lesson from it is like, I think as in the production role, you really should make good calls. And when Charlie's mix first two mixes came back, you got to step out of the way and put your ego aside and be like, you know, this record is a lot better if he mixes it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... <laughs> Yeah. I think I think and well the other thing I think that Charlie did which was great is that the the pile of music that we came out of Fort Worth was was, was diverse to the, almost to the point of being incoherent stylistically I think and I think Charlie did a great job of really kind of like making it feel like one album 
And so you had the harmony, and it's the harmony here that's one of my favorite parts of the whole album. I just need you. I do love the evolution of that, though. You know, the, the waking up with an idea in your head, going down in your pajamas, playing on the piano, uh, telling your girlfriend to keep quiet so that you concentrate on this, then reworking it backstage somewhere in France, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking a farmhouse venue. <laughs> because <laughs> like I know you went on that tour with Sam yeah. and you were kind of he, I remember he told me oh we seem to just drink wine and eat cheese all the time it was great yeah, yeah. lovely tour actually and I have to say Sam Sam deserves a mention um, in the the structure and thinking of this record because that tour I did with Sam which was in April last year um, was around the time I was really kind of pulling together the demos and starting to think about arrangements and um, you know Sam's always had much more of a foot in the electronic and, and sampled and synthesized and looped world than I have and um, I remember on that tour playing him some of the stuff I was doing on my laptop and, and he was kind of giving a couple of pointers and suggestions and that kind of thing and, 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 and also I think just giving me confidence in the idea do you know what I mean because there was definitely some moments where I was thinking like is this the naffest thing ever you know is this like Sting making a loot record Record and everyone's going to listen to it and be like, why are you playing with these instruments? Play with the instruments you know how to play with. It's better. And Sam had the decency to kind of be like, no, no, this is great. This is interesting and it's going to go somewhere and it's fun. Yeah, well, it certainly does. And it certainly is. Um, I think we've got some questions. We've got some other Holy questions. Cow. Yeah, I know. From, uh, from fan type people. Cool. So to both of you, uh, Neil from Stockport says, what is the piece of advice you can give to an aspiring producer musician? Well, I think this is great. Actually, Frank, you should answer it first because I feel okay. like your advice for an aspiring producer is probably much more useful than mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a feeling like, they, they might not yeah. be a million miles apart from each other. I think the thing yeah. is just to, to, to listen analytically as widely as you can. You know, I mean, I definitely, one of the things of this record was trying to get out of a slight rut that I got stuck in, which was essentially mentally structuring my songs around a kind of traditional lineup that's kind of the e street band lineup or the band or Neil Young's band where you have kind of drums and then you have bass and then you have electric guitar and then piano and organ and then acoustic and then vocals and it, it's, a, it's a sort of it's a traditional sort of triangular structure and I've always kind of stuck with that and this time around it was like trying to get away from that and it's like you know even listening to a song like Take Me to Church for example and there's none of those instruments on that song and it's like it still sounds great why does that sound great what are the component parts that have made this interesting and um yeah so just listening widely listening outside of your comfort zone and then trying to deconstruct what you're hearing and um think about how a song has been put together to sound interesting and full mm. josh yeah I, I would say your your role is to to help manage the situation to the best of its your ability so if an artist has a vision for something you, you know you have to be honest with what it what what it would take for you to do that and what it would take to make that possible from what you have access to and then it's more importantly to that uh, their name's on the front your name's on the back so that's kind of how the that's kind of how the weight works. You're there to like, you know, hold as, up as much as you can. Yeah. And sometimes that's pushing and sometimes that's stepping back. Yeah. Know? But right, very much your, so. That's I've, your thing. I and find, you have to understand music yes, to do that. I find that um explaining the role of, of actually what a producer does to people who don't make records can sometimes be quite difficult. But it do you know what I mean? It's like but it I think mm -hmm. it is it is your kind of you're like the drill sergeant in Full Metal Jacket to a degree. Do you know what I mean? You're, yeah. 
coming up with funny <laughs> insults. Um, but you know, you're, you're, like you say, I think that the real skill of a great producer, and it's one that you have, Josh, and I love you, um, uh, oh, is, is just knowing, sometimes knowing to say, no, do that again, or no, come up with a different approach, and sometimes knowing when to get out of the way. Um, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a delicate balance. Mm. Um, Jess from Ohio wants to know who have been your biggest influences on your careers. I think that's an interesting thing. Obviously, we do all have different influences in terms of inspirations and, and that kind of thing. But in terms of uh, your choices as a as a, doing this as a career, yeah. hmm. um, more recently, Al Schmidt. I don't know if many people know who he is, but he's like one of the most famous record makers um, from Sinatra to. Uh, Jefferson Airplane to Bob Dylan. Uh, his ability to produce or engineer or just put put a mic put a mic up is pretty in- impressive. So he's one big one for me. And then um, more of my other biggest influences on my career is, is career would be people like you know I hate saying this this is really normal but like Bob Dylan people who know how to exercise longevity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, for me the 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 original thing would be, and it's obvious and it's boring, but it's true to talk about Springsteen in the sense that what I think is great about Springsteen is he's the great all rounder, like as both a songwriter and a musician and a performer and and everything and and indeed a ranger. He is uh, he is the master of many different crafts, which I've always found. Um, inspiring and, and and in a way like that's something I always want to try and sort of communicate to younger people going is that like being a good musician and being a good songwriter are two entirely unrelated skills um, and similarly being a good arranger is a different thing as well you know I think one of the greats of the 20th century music is Robbie Robertson as an arranger I think he's the absolute king oh, yeah. of that um, so that Very but cool. then more so as time goes by I spend more time these days thinking about people like Elvis Costello and Nick Cage uh, uh, Nick Cave sorry <laughs> Nick Cave um, people who've kind of made a long and varied and interesting career um you know and Douglas Costello another Al Schmidt right there you go sorry but you know he's I I love the way that Costello is a kind of he's a he's like a catalogue writer and he's stylistically episodic do you know what I mean there are there are different records that head in wildly different directions and it's given sort of overall coherence by the fact it's his voice and it's him writing but nevertheless like he's gone some wildly different places and it's always been kind of credible Mm, yeah, totally. And uh, you mentioned about being uh, a songwriter. Uh, Will from Clapton says, what's your general approach to writing things and writing songs? Do you start with lyrics? Do you start with the music? Uh, there's no hard and fast rules. Yeah. Um, sometimes one, sometimes the other. And the best moments are when they come together. Um, as with 21st centuries, we were just chatting about. Um, uh, I mean, it's funny. There's Songwriting is an art and a craft, and you can spend lots of time thinking about and discussing and teaching and learning the craft side of it. Um, and I do spend a lot of time doing that. I deconstruct songs by other people that I really like. Um, I sat down and learned every ABBA song once. I did that to Regina Spector as well because she's a genius. Um, and, and, you know, that. Can, and I've recently been doing it with Bill Withers and Motown and stuff like that. Um, the art side, this sort of the flashes of inspiration thing is more kind of ineluctable and you can't it's sort of there or it isn't and and it's it, it's not even like some people have got it it's like some people have it some of the time do you know what i mean yeah. and like yeah. um <laughs> there's not masses i don't think there's masses you can do to kind of teach or discuss that it's just some people come up with ideas that resonate with other people and some people don't um have you discovered ways to feed it 
Like yeah, it could be a skill. I, yeah, I mean, I think that that's where this conversation gets more interesting. Um, Clive James wrote a famous and wonderful essay about Bob Dylan, in, in which he criticised some of his mid seventies stuff by saying that Dylan needed to find a way to systematise his inspiration, because if your inspirational route is simply to kind of lie on a chaise long and wait for things to hit you, after a time you will repeat yourself. Um, uh, I mean, at the moment, I'm working on this record of songs about women from the historical record have been ignored by popular culture. And that's been a, an interesting attempt to systemize my inspiration by picking a kind of subject matter that pushes me in certain directions. Um, uh, but I still do a fair amount of writing by just kind of like being in the shower and going, ooh, ah, 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 pen, um, and then writing something down. <laughs> a couple of questions for Josh. Uh, one from Ruben, um, who's in Exeter. How did you come to set up Nile City Sound Studio? Because obviously um, you've done this route of being in a band, you know, you, you, you know, and yeah. working as a as a musician, playing around the world, recording albums, and now you've set up this studio and you're recording other people like Frank and, and Leon Bridges and and all sorts of others as well. Yeah. Well, when uh, I'm a firm believer in when doors open up in front of you that you should just go ahead and jump through them and just see what, see what's on the other side of it. You can always turn around and go back through that door. So that is definitely what this was. Um, I'd always had a studio, you know, this is white denim records were made in my trailer. So I was always kind of had that. And, uh, now city was, I think we just wanted to, it's, it's private. So we just wanted a place to do our thing without interruption or without having a, set up shop somewhere else constantly um you mm. know three like-minded people we had a good idea we thought you know hopefully it's still a good I idea. Think it's a great idea so, <laughs> yeah thanks frank <laughs> will you record there again frank uh, yeah i definitely definitely want to record it in our city again it was the i think the most kind of one of the most like fertile and exciting and also stress-free recording experiences that i've had i mean i don't know if frank's gone into it but there's an excellent locals only bar like basically a hallway yeah. away and it's uh, it's yeah. you don't have to go outside to get there <laughs> right it's awesome yeah. <laughs> there's a yeah. special door that leads yeah there. and we did actually kind of rustle up some backing vocalists from down there one night which was kind of fun fantastic so um there's one from ryan who's in texas just like you uh yeah, your studio wow. looks like it's got lots of cool gear in it lots of great instruments what's Do the you... security code <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is dangerous <laughs> don't say that uh, but does it do you have a favorite piece of of equipment that you couldn't live without um interesting that's a good question something i couldn't live without it's a cheesy answer it's honestly just like that like people coming to work with me um i guess if i had to like make it about the hardware because i do care about hardware um you know what gets used constantly i have i have i have one eq that that uh isn't a really common eq it came out of the old capital console i have a pair of them that's probably i i, I don't show show people but that's usually on it <laughs> <laughs> and frank i mean do, you don't know it, it's just <laughs> it. <laughs> do you have a similar thing to, is there one piece of equipment that you couldn't let go no not really i don't think so i mean you know guitar wise on this record we used a lot of different stuff um and there's a great selection of guitars in the studio so mm. i didn't really bring very much with me it was just kind of like there's good stuff there let's just use what you guys have um uh and, and make it sound good and make it feel good um yeah, I, I, it's no. I, I think that almost you could get too tied to that kind of thing. I think it's better to be more yes. kind of um, open to suggestion. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, well, yeah. Nothing's gonna fix the a bad idea other than a good idea. Yeah, you know, that's kind of 
such That's sound it. advice and such great words to, to rest on, I think, um, as we round this up. <laughs> words of wisdom there from Josh <laughs> in <Yeah>. Texas. <laughs> Thank you both. Thank you, Frank, for coming thank down you. to Brixton. Uh, thank you, Josh, for sitting back there in Texas and talking to us from across the world and doing a first for tape notes. You know, hooking up internationally. Yeah. The, the, you know, this was cool. Thank you for experimenting with me. Fantastic. Um, thank you. And to play us out, here is 21st Century Survival Blues: The Reprise. To meet me at home when the signs go off. I don't want to be alone. So don't you get lost? Where the tombs can hide And we can barricade the door And we be safe inside When the hot winds blow And the world gets cold No, you can't trust kindness And you can't eat gold I've got the 21st century survival blues But to tell you the truth Let me tell you the truth I just need you If you've enjoyed this podcast Please leave us a review Tell your friends about us And make sure you're subscribed So you can enjoy the latest episodes When they're released Tape Notes is brought to you by In The Woods. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, plus check out their barn sessions on YouTube. All links are in the episode description. Until next time, I'm John Kennedy, and thanks for listening.